that. All right, well, good morning, everyone. Um, thank you for being here on this rainy Sunday morning. I'm sure others will join us shortly after the nine o'clock service ends. As you know, I'm Clark Irvin. Thank you for being here. Uh, and I have the pleasure this morning of introducing our speaker, Dr. Andrew O'Shaughnessy. Dr. O'Shaughnessy is the Saunders Director of the Robert H. Smith International Center for Jefferson Studies at Monticello. And he is also a professor of American history at the University of Virginia. As the director of the Smith Center, he oversees many things, including the Jefferson Library, the Research Department, Publications, and the Documentary Editing Department of the Papers of Thomas Jefferson. And he is also the vice president of the Thomas Jefferson Foundation. A dual American-British citizen, he holds undergraduate, master's, and doctoral degrees from Oriel College at Oxford University. And he will speak to us today about his latest book, published just last year by the University of Virginia Press, The Illimitable Freedom of the Human Mind, Thomas Jefferson's Idea of a University. With that, please join me in welcoming Dr. Andrew O'Shaughnessy. Thank you so much, Andrew. Thank you, thank you. Well, I'd like to thank uh, Clark for the invitation and all his organization, as well as the Reverend Fisher and I'm delighted with this opportunity, and what a wonderful location. Uh, the great revelation for me in writing this book was the realization that no head of state in history has spent so long conceiving, planning, developing, and founding a university. That, to me, seems very remarkable. Like Every feature of Jefferson, it was, of course, tainted with what Jefferson himself called the deplorable entanglement of slavery. And much of recent focus has been on that. Uh, Charlottesville especially has been in a state of shock since 2017 with the Unite the Right rally. There's been an attempt to address this legacy of slavery and racism and the fact that the university was not segregated. It was, it was still uh, desegregated right up to the 1970s. Uh, the university recently built a memorial. Uh, at any one time, there were 200 enslaved people working at Monticello, and there were... Uh, it was built by enslaved people. Uh, and I discuss this at some length in the book. But in today's talk, I really want to look at the vision and to go back to my first statement that there really is no parallel in world history to a head of state spending so much time developing and conceiving a university. And what is remarkable is that he was involved in every aspect that he micromanaged uh, to, to be an amazing extent. For one thing, he was the architect of the university. And I'm just reminded reading a book by an architectural historian on Poplar Forest, his summer place near Lynchburg, that even if Jefferson had never written the Declaration of Independence, even if he'd never been president of the United States, he would still be regarded as the great early American architect. And uh, 
he submitted the plans. He didn't design it alone. He actually uh, took um, uh, advice from Benjamin Latrobe, who probably played a major role in this particular building, the Rotunda, and William Thornton, the two great architects of Washington, D.C. and the Capitol, uh, who Jefferson was employing simultaneously to, uh, to build the University of Virginia. Uh, he conceived it as what he called an academical village, that it was to be a community, uh, and the professors were to live among the students. As the son of a surveyor, he surveyed the land on which the university would be built. As a lawyer, he wrote every bill, and he apologized to Madison and to Joseph Cabell, uh, who helped him in his task in the legislature, and said, I'm afraid my bills are comprehensible. They're written in ordinary English. Lawyers won't like that, because uh, it doesn't obfuscate. As a bibliophile and an intellectual, he designed the curriculum. This is his uh, curriculum for readings in Anglo-Saxon. He also wrote out all the books that were to be in the library, over 6,000 titles. It immediately became the second largest university in the library in the country after Harvard. And Harvard had been founded almost exactly 200 years earlier. It's the first university in America. And what also comes across in writing this, and the way that he was involved in every aspect of creating the university, were his political skills, which in some ways one should take for granted. Uh, but these became more dramatically evident to me as uh, I looked in detail at the creation. He was, of course, at the height of his powers. He did all of this between the age of 73 and 83, uh, which gives us all hope for our future uh, careers. And uh, this is actually, he was rector of the university, that's head of the board. He was also secretary, secretary of the board of visitors. And of course, none of us ever volunteer to be secretary. It's the dullest, worst job on any committee. But it also gives you the last word in interpreting what was said at that committee. And you can cleverly slump the committee's findings. And this was typical of Jefferson. I think the most remarkable instance I came across of his politics was that uh, he finally managed to get the legislature and the governor to agree that there would be a commission to create a University of Virginia. And he'd already created something called Central College. And this commission was to be about 24 people. And it was to meet at Rockfish Gap between Charlottesville and Stanton. And Jefferson wrote the commission report before the commission met. Uh, he not only wrote it, he wrote it three different times, drafting it differently, and had Madison and others look at it. 
and virtually every aspect of his report was uh, adopted. Uh, it was a lot more cunning than one thought. Jefferson even entertained every undergraduate, uh, and uh, he would do it on a Sunday evening, uh, anywhere between three to 12 undergraduates at a time. If any undergraduate had religious objections to a Sunday, they were invited during the week, and he invited the faculty. And typically, when an undergraduate arrived, and uh, thankfully, we actually have descriptions written 50 years later when these were alumni looking back at their time. And they describe how Jefferson would show them the first draft of the Declaration of Independence, which he always thought was a far superior document to the final version edited by Congress. Uh, he would tell them anecdotes about the founders, especially about George Washington and about uh, Franklin. And his daughter, interestingly, would preside and dominate these gatherings. Jefferson's hearing was going in the last year of his life when the students actually started to attend the university. And he'd push his chair back in order to just watch the students talk among each other. And the daughter would gently tease him. And uh, she would say, for example, uh, that her favorite uh, book was Blackstone's Commentaries on the English Law. Uh, Jefferson thought that that was a book that should really be banned. Uh, and he thought it would change turn young Americans into monarchists. She joked about how he didn't like novels and that she'd given him Sir Walter Scott's Ivanhoe and he loathed it uh, and couldn't uh, get through it. Jefferson thought that the university was one of his three greatest achievements in life along with the Declaration of Independence and the Virginia Statute for Religious Freedom which is really the main statute that was used at least right through to Judge Rehnquist, uh, Chief Justice Rehnquist, for interpreting the notion of religious freedom in uh, America. But the major point is that Jefferson's university was just the apex of a much broader educational, public educational vision. He wanted to have a public school system uh, so that both boys and girls and all free people, and he insisted later that he'd not ex excluded uh, African-Americans uh, in, uh, in this, because he was written to by an abolitionist who wanted to uh, found African-American schools in Virginia. And Jefferson encouraged him to have integrated uh, schools, which seems to go very contrary to other comments Jefferson had made on race. Uh, nevertheless, this was to be basic schooling for boys and girls. And if it had been founded when he suggested it in 1779 during the American Revolution, when the British were actually invading the coast, uh, Benedict Arnold being among them, the coast of uh, 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 Virginia, uh, Jefferson put this forward. If it had been adopted then, it would have been the first public school system in the world, uh, which shows something of the novelty of his ideas. Uh, the two places that came closest to public education were Massachusetts, 
Connecticut and Scotland. And that's because of their Presbyterianism and the belief that everybody needed to read the Bible. Um, but the first place to really experiment seriously with public education was not a, a kind of representative government at all. Uh, ironically, public education developed better under absolutist regimes, and that was Frederick the Great of Prussia. Uh, and then it was only really the early 19th century, despite earlier edicts, that they really started to develop a fully-fledged public system. And the aim was quite different. Jefferson wanted to educate a citizenry to question government and to hold their leaders accountable. Frederick the Great and others wanted to produce good bureaucrats and people who would extend the power of the state. This shows his three-tier system. Boys and girls would get a basic education. The best boys would then go on. He never really had a vision for women's education, but then even uh, you know, some of the real pioneers at this time still had a very limited uh, perspective. Um, he wanted to have academies for the best boys, and then the very best of those would go to the University of Virginia, and some of those would be on full scholarship, a very limited number. Nevertheless, he appreciated the idea of what today we'd call meritocracy. He said that there are always going to be people, regardless of their backgrounds, who are outstanding and should not be held back simply for lack of uh, means. Uh, the irony is, of course, that the university has never fully attained his ideals. Uh, he wanted it to be a public university. He wanted it to have scholarships. It did indeed become one of the first true public universities in America in the sense that uh, it was the only university to receive annual funds from the legislature other than the University of South Carolina. The South generally were pioneers, and this is often not appreciated, pioneers in public higher education in America. But it was the most expensive university to attend in America other than Harvard, uh, and there were no scholarships for the first 20 years. Jefferson talked about the illimitable freedom of the human mind, freedom of ideas, and yet he wanted this to be a Republican university. That was the main reason he founded it, uh, devoted to what he regarded as the true principles of uh, 1776. And he wanted it to avoid uh, legal works and ideas of people like Chief Justice John Marshall. Uh, it, it was never censored. And the irony is Blackstone's commentaries on the English law, which he wanted kept away from students and which he was teased about, that was the most consulted book in the library. So the students, whatever his ideas about what they should be learning, the students, as students tend to in all periods, subverted them. Uh, and of course, uh, we talked earlier that it was enmeshed in the system of slavery, despite the fact that he saw this as uh, a stepping stone to a free world, something I'll talk about uh, at the very end. 
Uh, but what I want to emphasize is despite these limitations, and the same is true of the Declaration of Independence, it represents ideals, it represents a laboratory, an ongoing experiment, uh, and one that's incomplete, uh, but, but at the same time, one that is radical. And Jefferson's ideas uh, for the university were very radical for their time. And the main part of the remainder of my talk will be to talk about what was distinctive about his ideas and their impact on higher education in America more generally. Before I do so, I do want to say how important it was writing this book at Monticello. Uh, I was particularly fortunate that we uh, have the papers of Thomas Jefferson for the retirement period, and 10 people working all the time just on Jefferson's retirement papers. The papers of Thomas Jefferson began in 1950, the first volume. Uh, they will not be complete even in 2030, uh, even though there are now two teams, one at Princeton, one at Monticello, that are trying to uh, complete them. Uh, Jefferson wrote over 19,000 letters. He received four times as many letters back. Uh, and all of these are published one volume a year, annotated and footnoted. And they try to transcribe them to perfection. I can't think, actually, of a, an equivalent project in England, although there are equivalent projects for other founders like Washington and uh, Franklin. We also have the Getting Word project, in which, for years now, we've worked on with the descendants of enslaved people, not just the Hemings family, but all of the 600 people who were enslaved at some point at uh, Monticello. This is the most powerful of all our projects. Um, the, uh, I cannot think of another example where we've really studied a plantation and what happened to all the people afterwards. Where did they go? Uh, and follow it up to the present. They're also the most moving events and surprisingly very positive and uplifting when all of these families uh, come together, there's a real feeling of bonhomie. Most of these people want to put the past behind them, but they want to know that it's known and that their, their stories are told. So I said I would now largely finish by focusing on what was distinctive about Jefferson's vision and how it would have an impact on higher education more generally. One of the major ideas that I still think could be, should be considered in universities is the importance of community and the personal connections. I felt this especially when the idea of virtual education was so popular, in what was called MOOCs, massive online courses. One of the things we've discovered with the pandemic is that actually students did very badly in this kind of learning environment, uh, and they just didn't have their contemporaries with me. I heard all, and professors really regarded as a lost generation, with people with their cameras turned off, uh, and when called upon, they're clearly not even in the uh, room to talk. Uh, Jefferson wanted the professors to live among the students, and he was really, uh, wanted to revive his own 
um, youth and his education of William and Mary, he'd been very fortunate in his mentors that he said kept him on the straight and narrow, that there'd been a temptation to join the usual uh, gambling, drinking, high living Virginia planter set. Uh, and he particularly ascribed it to William Small, his undergraduate tutor from Scotland, the only layman to teach at the College of William and Mary. Uh, George Wyth, to whom he was apprentice, lawyer, and became the first law professor in America. And Governor Francis Fakir, the royal governor, uh, who was actually a deputy uh, uh, and an American, who would have concerts and music parties and, most important of all, conversation and debate at the table. And that, that is how the university looks today. And those larger buildings, the larger pavilions, are the buildings that were built for the professors. I always love to tell people, especially at the university, that when asked why he spent so much on the architecture in the same year that Virginia faced its worst debt crisis and crash ever, 1819, he said, you can't possibly expect European professors to live in log cabins. <laughs> and from the beginning, he was thinking of getting. Another very distinctive feature is this would be America's first secular university. Uh, others had tried the University of Transylvania in Kentucky and the University of North Carolina. They gave up. Uh, this was continued at the University of Virginia. Jefferson was very much influenced by Joseph Priestley, the founder of Unitarianism. And in the election of 1800, Jefferson went through a crisis of faith. He was accused by his opponents of being an atheist. And Jefferson always struggled with his belief. He spent a great deal of time in the very serious study of the Gospels, of uh, works uh, on theology, although he did not like anything that was metaphysical. And it was in 1800, when he was accused of being an atheist, that he first put forward the idea of the University of Virginia. And one of the reasons was he felt that America's universities were all ideologically bound to a particular denomination and faith. And he didn't feel you could have a multi-faith university because he said it would, and Madison said the same, it would be like titans. All of them would, and gladiators, all of them would be struggling to dominate the uh, curriculum. And it's very interesting to me that the year that the university was founded uh, by statute, 1819, was the year he recommenced a project that he began here at the White House of editing the four Gospels. It was a very arrogant in way. Uh, he cut and pasted uh, five different copies. Uh, and for some reason, he had them in four different languages, Greek, Latin, French, and English. And he removed all of the miracle stories, leaving what he basically regarded as what he felt was had been the original sayings of Christ. 
that he thought was the greatest uh, social philosophical system uh, at any time. Amazingly, copies of this were given to the Senate uh, for the first 50 years of uh, the 20th century. This, this is the original copy. You can get a very good facsimile. Uh, I do in the book bring him into conversation with Newman because in many ways he and Newman shared so much in common about the breadth of the curriculum. But the huge difference was Jefferson wanted this to be entirely secular. Uh, he argued that the undergraduates could go off site to attend church uh, and that uh, there the would be real benefits by having it non-denominational. As a result, it did become the first university in America to have a Jewish professor, Joseph Sylvester, who was a brilliant mathematician who invented the concept of the graph. Uh, he recruited some of the first Catholics outside a Catholic uh, university. Uh, there was certainly a push against his vision. After he died, uh, the university would have the first YMCA on campus. Um, there would, were rotating preachers a Presbyterian and Episcopalian who would visit uh, and preach in a particular room. But the big difference was it was never compulsory. At virtually every other university in America, not only was attendance in chapel compulsory, it was compulsory twice a day. Uh, the other major feature was that he wanted a very broad curriculum. This would be one of the first universities to teach modern languages. This would be one of the first universities to teach chemistry. And more important than the pure breadth of the curriculum was that he wanted students to be able to choose which courses they studied. Everywhere else, students had a defined course of studies. Uh, the curriculum at Harvard made little sense. I mean, it was very broad, but the students had absolutely no choice at all. Jefferson believed in an elective curriculum, and that really reflected his political beliefs of giving people choice. In many ways, they were more free than students today. They didn't have to take all those foundation courses. You didn't have to have mathematics, or what my father, who taught at Columbia, called physics for poets. You were... Uh, they could choose any course in any order. And that's why they never had a class system in the University of uh, Virginia. <coughs> One of the most famous early students during Jefferson's lifetime was Edgar Allan Poe. Uh, he actually attended Jefferson's funeral, one of the very few students to do so, because the family had intended it to be private. And uh, he and a few other students got on horseback and just went up. Uh, the, the event was a mess. But um, and Poe certainly benefited from his time. He was vice president of the Jefferson Society, the debating club. Uh, there were stories of how he used to hold poetry evenings in his room. Uh, he may have even picked up some of his drinking habits well at the university as well. But one other novel feature of the university was Jefferson's belief in student governance. 
And it was an idea very quickly abandoned and then recreated in the idea of what was called the honor system in Virginia, which would be copied in a lot of universities throughout the South. It's been largely dismantled uh, recently, but this in many ways put the students in charge of their own discipline. He also wanted students to live in monk-like cells, by themselves or just with one other student rather than large uh, dormitories, not least for health. Jefferson argued in favor of the countryside and argued for a spacious plan for the university uh, because of his fear of pandemics, interestingly. Uh, Jefferson also wanted to have an outstanding faculty, and this is one of the first universities who would later be taken up by Johns Hopkins as a major objective of a research university. This is Rob Lee Dunglinson, who is Jefferson's doctor and first professor of medicine, and who uh, is regarded as one of the fathers of American physiology. In other words, these were outstanding people. George Tucker was the oldest member of uh, faculty. He wrote the first uh, science fiction novel. Uh, he was also one of the first real economists here in the uh, South. And he was the first uh, head of the faculty. And here was another feature of Jefferson's ideas that were unusual, the belief in faculty governance. Uh, I just want to emphasize that a lot of his ideas were wonderfully novel and exciting, like, for example, in the library, at the top of the rotunda, he wanted to have a planetarium with a professor on a boomstick who uh, would sit on a saddle and be uh, maneuvered through the galaxy by one of his uh, students, the ultimate audio-visual and finally, I want to emphasize that this university had a real impact on American higher education generally. It's difficult always to demonstrate impact because all of us and every institution derives its ideas from multiple sources. But the idea of an elective curriculum was very powerful. Right up to the 1960s, all of Harvard's key uh, presidents took a particular interest in Jefferson's ideas. Uh, Edward Everett, who famously uh, spoke before uh, Lincoln at Gettysburg, uh, was president of Harvard, the first PhD in America. As a student, he used to visit Jefferson while attending the University of Göttingen in Germany, very influenced by him. Uh, William Barton Rogers, the founder of MIT, was a former UVA professor. And his widow said, you know, that everything about MIT had been developed in the halls of the University of Virginia. A lot, lot of real similarities. The University of Texas, State University of Florida, uh, University of um, uh, Michigan was very much influenced. Its founder was in contact with Jefferson, Transylvania. Uh, and indeed, it had a huge impact, especially in the South. And one of the reasons I wanted to engage in this project is that this is an example of Jefferson not talking about less government, but more government. 
Jefferson believed in public, in the importance of public education and the value and indeed the necessity to uh, foster a elective system of government that the citizenry must be educated and that the leadership should be virtuous and be trained to put aside their own self-interests to look for the common good. And I finally want to emphasize that Jefferson understood his own limitations. He said that our generation will be looked back upon one day just like our witch-burning ancestors. He understood they'd be regarded as backward. He understood, and this was what was important to him, that the living generation should not be held back by the past and by tradition. That using evidence and their own reason, they should refashion the future. In other words, the university and, of course, the political system were essentially instruments for the improving of society. And although we talk about Jefferson as a hypocrite today, we sometimes forget that he was a genuinely idealistic person who wanted to improve the society around him. Thank you very much. I don't know if I could make such a broad generalization. Uh, it is, though, a concern to me that people are going online for all their information and that they don't necessarily know how to evaluate information. I mean, this is, seems to me a national problem as to what is truth uh, and what is verifiable. Uh, of course, every source in effect, has a perspective. Even choosing what you think is important represents a bias. Um, and that's why in history and in the humanities, we stress broad reading. You can't just read one source and get the fix. Uh, it's looking at different perspectives. And being exposed to different perspectives can... Uh, change your own uh, its perspective. Yes? Well, you've done a wonderful job of sort of laying out the division mm. dealing with politics, mm. governance, religion, but what about political economy? Because on your list of curriculums, you have political economy on there, and we're all inundated with Alexander Hamilton and this talk to Jefferson Hamilton. Yes. Economic. So can you give us a little bit of a... That, that's a great question. This was one of the first universities to teach economics, and the person who taught it was George Tucker. What fascinated me, because uh, some people have been obsessed that Jefferson wanted to circumscribe some parts of the curriculum, uh, notably a guy called Leonard Levy, who did a book on Jefferson and civil rights uh, back in the 60s. And it was one of the first of what became a trend of very critical books about Jefferson. 
And he devotes a whole chapter to what he sees as Jefferson's restrictive views. What was interesting was that Tucker was a complete Hamiltonian. And Jefferson knew it. He'd read Tucker's essays. That's why he was impressed by Tucker. But he was also the best economist. And yet, he still accepted Tucker. Tucker was not uncritical of Jefferson. He wrote one of the first serious biographies of Jefferson. And he complained afterwards it didn't please anyone. It was not euphoric enough for his real admirers. And it was not critical enough for his detractors. Yeah. Could we visit the uh, student governments for a moment? In the yes. Will's book, Mr. Jefferson's University, hmm. I, I remember being very struck by the breakdown in the honor code hmm. and how unruly students were. Yes. It struck me as a microcosm kind of of what American citizenry could become without more rules and structure. Yes. Yet Jefferson hated that. You know, I was anathema to him. Yes. But he was struck in the face with unvirtuous behavior as I recall, kind of broke down and cried in a, a gathering with the students. And they had to kind of formalize rules, and he wished we didn't need rules. Well, uh, we could live like him. So any additional insight into that? Well, that's well remembered. That? Uh, and I loved Gary Wills's book, Mr. Jefferson's University. That's what uh, started me, my interest. Uh, it's a very short book, about 110 pages and small size, uh, and dwells primarily on the architecture, interestingly. Um, but it gave me the sense there was much more there to be investigated. Uh, I opened one of my chapters with Jefferson breaking down and crying. And uh, in front of all the students, the faculty, uh, the Board of Governors, Madison was there. I mean, must, one's embarrassed even to read it uh, uh, because there'd been a riot and because clearly his ideas uh, about letting the students run themselves, it was always his greatest fear. He knew his fellow Southerners uh, and knew the uh, lifestyles. Um, and he had indeed wanted to have his, the students essentially try one another and enforce rules among each other. I think the system broke down not because it was a bad system, it was never given a try. Nearly all his professors were British. One had wanted to be a redcoat. Uh, one was German and had actually marched with uh, Frederick the Great's army uh, and with Napoleon and was eventually the first professor to be removed for beating his wife up uh, publicly. Uh, and these were tough type and you know, being the British they were much more hierarchical and elitist and just couldn't accept these southerners. Uh, a number of people uh, have, uh, like Alan Taylor, attribute the excess to the fact that they're entitled slave owners. The problem with that argument is discipline was much worse at Harvard in the same period and I point out that the great hero of students in this period was Byron, the romantic Englishman, uh, the loose living uh, worshipper of the Hellenistic world. Um, he was like the Che Guevara of this period. And the best study of student rebellion says that here you had a generation who were, who were overshadowed by the founders. 
and who were trying to find their identity and who'd also grown up in a world in which hierarchical rule had been dismissed, uh, in which it had become acceptable to question authority. Uh, and the, actually throughout Europe, and, you know, you got much worse rats in Germany and some of the French uh, universities, but Harvard was, was much, much worse. Uh, I compare the yard of what is called the lawn, which is the center of uh, the University of Virginia. And they sometimes sent half a class down from Harvard. Uh, John Quincy Adams' own son was removed from Harvard for uh, bad behavior. And he, even he could not uh, persuade Edward Everett. Uh, and Edward Everett basically gave up having an academic career as the, despite him being the first professor of Greek uh, in America. He said, I, I feel I'm just like um, a school teacher. And I spend half my time disciplining these. And you have to remember, at Harvard, they accepted people as young as 12. At Virginia, they were as young as 16. And there's a certain amount of evidence that a lot of the problems was with the 16 and 17-year-olds. These people would have been in high school today. I think we've got time for one more. Right. Yes. You didn't mention yes. anything about his thoughts on athletics or competition. I was thinking about answering about Harvard and Lynn Mary, but hmm. I mean, now public universities, it's all funded by athletics, but hmm. Thomas Jefferson wasn't great on finances. That was one thing we didn't even <laughs> failed at. Did he have any thoughts on that, or how the university would make So, uh, athletics was unorganized. Mm -hmm. He was very interested, he believed very strongly that people should be physically active. Um, and he used to go on walks and runs for miles uh, as a student of William and Mary. And he, throughout his life, he continued to exercise. Uh, and he designated certain parts of the campus that could be used for gymnastics and running, so he recognized it. Uh, uh, his financial sense uh, was uh, appalling. Uh, you know, he, could estimate, he could estimate to the last brick how many bricks would be needed for a building. Yeah. I mean, it's remarkable uh, these, when he put in uh, and said this is what's needed. He always underestimated the cost. And actually, this made him very unpopular you know, when he died because someone had come round, an anonymous individual, to visit him. They said, Mr. Jefferson, why didn't you just put uh, the price tag up at the front and explain? Because he left the most expensive building to the end. But as he explained, firstly, you know, once the legislature started to spend, they're not going to not spend on the last, on completing of it. But he used the phrase, uh, you can't stuff more than one half hot potato down a man's throat at a time. <laughs> and this got into the local Richmond Inquirer. And the Virginians were not amused. They did not send money to his daughter when he died, uh, unlike New York and South Carolina. And they were very, they did not give him the kind he wanted to have, uh, basically, an auction 
or lottery for his goods because he knew he was dying bankrupt. Uh, and they did not give him the lottery until the very last minute. And then it was so circumscribed so that it really didn't raise much money for the family. Everyone, please join me in thank you. <laughs> Yes, absolutely. If there are additional questions, you can stay Right. I realize that I may have been putting your name back to front. Oh, uh, I didn't even notice it. I, I hope I didn't. I, I don't think you did, actually. Good. It's perfectly. Thank you but, so much. It was lovely. I can't wait to read the book. Oh, excellent. And the questions, I thought, were superb. They were very good.